Hello and welcome to a new episode of Doctrine and Doxology. We are glad to be here and recording again. I am Skylar Spradlin, joined here with the one and only Larry Jones. Glad. I like the way you say that. I didn't. Did I say it different than normal? Glad. No, you said it the last time that way too. Glad. Glad. Well, I am. I'm glad. I like doing this. Um, not because it, I don't know, builds me up or anything. In of fact, course. That's, that's what we pray, that yeah. it's not for us, but it's for the Lord. And uh, I am I just get really encouraged hearing how it encourages other people. Yeah, that's it. It is very encouraging. And so that's why I like to do it. Because I know that some people are actually grateful. That's yeah, kind of weird to say. Yeah, the Lord can use our blunders and our feeble attempts to glorify himself. That is absolutely true. Is. And you want to know the proof? The yeah. church is Prove still it. here. Oh, okay. There have been lots of blunders over the years between you and I. <laughs> I've, yes. I and don't want to count them all, but they are many. And the congregation is still here and worshiping the Lord and seeking the Lord, and that is beyond us. Yes, they love us in spite of us. In spite of us. So we are about to rock it out with school starting next yes, week. I'm excited. It actually doesn't start next week, but students are moving back next week. Yes. We are a very college-oriented church. Get Seems to be. Really Praise busy. God for that. Yeah, I don't know that we put any special emphasis, or at least we don't intend to, uh, but God has made it a big part of our lives Yes, as a church. And, you know, hopefully we can and help them through these college years and and get them to a place that when they leave here, they're still serving God. They're still seeking God. They're getting involved in other churches and pursuing their walk with God. Yeah, I think our desire is in their college years to incorporate them as much as possible into the life of the church. Yes. That way they know how to be in a church when they graduate. Right. We, we have actually seen for ourselves people who have came through here in the past and we say where are you going to church oh i don't go to church i haven't gone to church since college yeah yeah they seem to drop out because they're not around their christian friends or around their uh bcm friends that kind of thing well yeah the college life is insulated right yes. like you're you're kind of in this little world here and it's fun and exciting and free and and then you graduate and you become an adult and you get a job and you work eight to five or nine to five every day and yep you're in this constant routine and it's different and so build habits now in terms of being in the church and walking with the lord so that when you graduate you're on your own you're out of this bubble yeah you're still doing it yeah one of the first things you do as a christian when you move to another location is find you a church find that's, what, a, that's church. a very high priority to not just attend but to join and involve and a, yourself yeah in. something that's one that believes in jesus and he thinks his word is very accurate. Yeah. Maybe varies a bad word. Not, yeah, is true. It's true. It's yeah. accurately true. And so just get engage in there and become a part. Anyway, so that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. And hopefully that doesn't deter any of the future episodes. I don't think it does. Yeah. Why would it? Well, we have several events coming up on Wednesdays. Oh, well, yeah, but in the next couple of weeks. But 
I think we'll we may have to record at 10 in the morning. Wow. Has the coffee even set in at that point? I don't drink coffee anymore, so there. I don't believe that. I've seen you drink coffee. I do. Uh, I'll drink half a cup on Wednesday night while we're sitting around having our Wednesday night Bible study. That counts. And that's about it. Still counts. One quick word of announcement okay. before we jump into today's topic. Are you sure it counts? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the 15th, which is Monday. Yes, it is. Is the last day that we're taking applications for this first pastor's cohort. So if you want to join, if you're curious about joining, if you know somebody that wants to be a part, they need to have their application in by Monday. That's good. That's good. To apply, just simply go to Doctrine Doxology, one word, DoctrineDoxology.com. You'll see at the top of the website there a heading called Cohort, C-O-H-O-R-T. And it's a drop-down menu. You can click Application, take you to the application, submit it, and we will get it pronto. I'm, I'm really excited because I, what I hear is we have six people already signed up. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, how many can we handle right now? We opened this first class to 10. Cool. So we need four more. Yeah. And I, there's a few out there that are still thinking about it. So. And we already have books available. We are ready to go. We're yep. ready to start shipping them out. Ready to go. And so once people apply after the 15th, we'll go through the applications. We'll look over all the information. Um, set figure, the 10. figure out how to mail out books and stuff yeah set the 10 that are going to be there but we'll contact them let them know this is how the plan works this is what yeah. the next step is going forward so yeah we're excited that's going to start our pastors and church leaders will start getting their books um in september and yeah. the first yeah. technical month that they'll have um work to do will be october okay so really excited yeah me too this this is kind of something neato Needle mosquito. Needle mosquito. So back to where it all starts here, what we're talking about today, continuing our discussion of the doctrine of God as yes, it pertains yes. to the communicable attributes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, just, I don't know if you, how far you're back on recap, but last week we did go over, uh, what was that thing? Uh, Holiness. Yes. That was the last one we went over. And uh, before that, mercy. Grace, mercy, patience, holiness. Yeah. Those. And so today, today, today we start off with peace, a, an attribute of God that he allows us to experience. Do you think that means like inner peace, like meditation, like um, um, maybe borderline contentment? but not, what do you mean by well, peace? When I say peace, for me, that's a personal application, and that's the way I definitely take it. But they describe it uh, according to Mr. Grudem. You take it internally? He said it's like uh, in order. Things are in order. Uh -huh. They're not chaotic. Do you think that's true? Do you think we experience peace like that? Uh, I have two little girls. I don't think I have that peace. Well, not in your house. But, but even in general, I mean, the world's chaotic. Yes. So what peace is he talking about? Well, peace or order. He's talking about 
I'll give his definition. 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 God's peace means that in God's being and in his actions, he is separate from all confusion and disorder, yet he is continually active in innumerable, well-ordered, fully controlled, simultaneous actions. So even though God is doing a plethora of things all at the same time, he is there is peace or order about everything he does. And I, I view him as because he's sovereign and supreme and he is God, after all, everything around him is in, in order and in peace. Well, that's true, yes. So, you know, we don't necessarily see that kind of peace in our lives when there's trouble, but we do know that because God is our Lord, because we are his child, we do have inner peace. We have peace in our hearts that even if we're in the midst of trouble and tribulation, we have a calmness because we know that he will see us through and will ultimately deliver deliver us. Even yeah. if we're being beheaded for, the, for his sake or persecuted for his sake, uh, there's peace. Yeah, we you, know who we belong to. Yeah. I think there's there's two ways we have to deal with these attributes, though, and you're hitting on one of them, absolutely, the, the way that the Christian experiences these yes, communicable yes. attributes, by which we're saying and have said that the Christian actually flourishes in these communicable attributes and experiences them, I would argue, in a greater detail or greater degree and sense yeah. because we've been made alive through the Spirit. Right. But even an, a non-believer should experience some of these communicable attributes in terms of being made in the image of God. Okay. Maybe. So then when we talk about peace, are we saying that it's possible or that God in his common grace lets unbelievers taste a measure of peace from time to time? Well, so if you ask it that way, I'd have to say yes. Because I, I think that's what you're uh, leading to. Well, yeah, that's where I, that's what I would say, and so I, I think there might be instances in life, maybe an unbelieving, let's say, unbelieving unbelievers married couple, birth okay. of their first child, okay, and in that moment, though they don't understand God or know God, and they're dead in their sins, there still may be a common grace where God lets them experience a taste of peace in that moment, okay. That's yeah. such an innocent, good, wholesome moment. Yeah, I would think so. Because they had just came through a, a large turmoil. Like labor? Like labor and birth. And well, I didn't think about that. I just thought in the sense but of But then when it's the over, there's, there's a child. child and everything's right. And you go, wow, this is awesome. They get to experience a miracle of God. Yeah. The birth of a child is amazing. I don't remember what it's like to be an unbeliever. Oh, okay. I thought you didn't remember what it's like to have a child come into the world. No, I remember that very vividly. Was it peaceful? No. It, <laughs> it was after the doctors and nurses left and the baby was asleep. It was just like, this is, this is otherworldly. Yeah, this is heaven. But yeah, not in that Or moment. a taste of heaven. Yeah, I, I don't remember what an unbeliever thinks like. I don't, I don't remember that perspective, but I'm imagining that God does let, in these communicable attributes, 
image bearers taste a measure of peace. And I can see how that would serve salvific purposes. If you taste a measure of peace, then you'll likely crave it. In fact, sure, I, I would say sure. it's a it's a big deal today, right? Like people, well, it's a big deal in human history. People want peace in the world. People want peace in their relationships. Well, and we people know that there's in their home. turmoil going on all around us. Yeah, and it's elusive. And the Bible talks about it. Sometimes when you're around God's people, the blessings of God's people might splash onto you as an unbeliever. Could be. You might yeah. get a taste of peace being around them so that it drives you drives you further or closer to the Lord. Yeah. So I can see where God would permit that as a common grace to humanity meant to drive people to Christ. Because you're not going to find peace anywhere else. But what you just said earlier, believers have yeah, constant peace. peace even in the midst of all this turmoil. Yeah, I remember Jesus talking about that and he said, in the world you'll have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Take heart. Take heart. I'm Be just peaceful. Looking, looking here at Ephesians 2, 14. It's in the context of the gospel uniting us, Jew and Gentile, making us one people. And in 2, 14, Paul says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken dead in his flesh, yes. the dividing wall of hostility. Relational peace comes through Christ. As a church, we we can experience peace and harmony and unity, right, right. even in the midst of disagreements or differences, because Christ is our peace. Sure, I we think, experience that in a in a marriage, yeah, a Christian marriage. Even though there's a disagreement, we do know the bottom line is we love each other. Absolutely, and I think that principle carries off or carries over into the relationship with the believer. Looking at Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah. There's a peace there, and, and I think that's a, a key verse in understanding what we're talking about. This peace of God surpasses all understanding. Sure. It's mysterious to a large degree. Usually more so to an unbeliever when they see the peace of God in us in a time when when they would be pulling their hair out. Yeah. Uh, when they see a believer in peace. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a testimony, testimony to for God and, and his goodness. Absolutely. It's also one of the uh, fruits of the Spirit. It's number three, peace. True. So... So it's a hallmark of God, as you said. He's at peace because of who he is and, sure. and what he's done and that he's ordered all things like Grudem pointed out. And then for the believer especially, those connected with God know what that peace is like. Right. Because he begins to increase it in our lives, even as the persecution, like you said, may increase. Yeah. So good. Next one today we're talking about is... Ba-da-da-da-da. This is a big one. Righteousness. Big because it has a lot of letters in it? Yes. Bigger than all the rest? Bigger in peace. That's true. But, you know, when somebody says righteousness to me, it, it, it creates a lot of thoughts. We know that God is righteous. And that is 
everything he does is correct. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of justice involved with righteousness. Mm. That's what Grudem says. And I agree with him, too. I think there is everything he does is right, even if it's to punish or correct. Can an unbeliever experience righteousness? Wow. They can do things that are right, but I don't know that they can experience the righteousness that we get to experience as believers. I don't know. I agree. I don't think an unbeliever will know righteousness that originates from themselves, but I think they might experience righteousness when it's done to them. In terms okay. of in terms of like justice or just something right, a right attitude or right response or right show of care. Right. So if somebody slaps us on one cheek, we turn the other. We don't yeah, slash I mean, back. Yeah. Because you know, the peace of God is in us and we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So there's So there's we respond differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well I think an unbeliever yeah, if they're around a Christian, should hopefully experience righteousness as that Christian is walking righteously. They may yes. not know it by personal experience, but they recognize it, they see it, and they get to reap a little bit of the benefits of it. Okay, Grudem says, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. Yeah, that's a good second point. Good. Yeah, so righteousness, best understood, is rightness. Right. But it's it's more of a, when it's put into the word righteous, it's more of a patterned characteristic trait. Not just a one act of right, but a rightness of life or of conduct or of attitude or however you want to apply it, even in specific context. A rightness of X, Y, and Z. Uh, Paul says, and it's in Romans three twenty-five through 26, when God sent Christ as a sacrifice to bear the punishment for sin, it was to show God's righteousness because in, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies himself. Justifies. And he th- and and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Yeah. In that passage, actually, we have a, in the context right there of Romans, we have a, a cool contrasting picture. Yeah. Because earlier Paul says the law used to be righteousness, the standard right, of righteousness. Right. You fast forward to chapter 10, and he says the Jewish people are still clinging to that law for righteousness. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Right. And so he says that the standard of righteousness is is maybe manifest in the moral law of God, but that's not what makes a person righteous before God. So there's, there's kind of a, um, I don't know, two things going on there. We can look at the moral law of God and see what rightness is. Right. And what we should be doing, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, all of those things. But we're also forced to realize we don't keep those. And so if we're going to be with God, we need the righteousness of another right, given to us, credited to us on our account. 
and that's Christ. And so we think, what, is make, what makes Christ righteous? It's His perfect life of obedience to the Father. Correct. Perfect obedience to the law of God. That's how we define righteousness. Yes. Now, God, as gracious enabler through the Holy Spirit, equips us as Christians to, hopefully increasingly so in this life through sanctification, equips us to obey the law more and more as time goes on. Sure, sure. We become we're more being, righteous. As we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ, we become more right. But, but oh, go ahead. I got to. Well, I was just going to say that experiential righteousness doesn't happen apart from that declared righteousness. You okay. must first be declared righteous in Christ if you're going to bear the characteristic trait of righteousness as a Christian. Okay. It's never the other way around. You'll never experience righteousness enough so that you get declared righteous. You must always be declared righteous yeah. first in Christ. Then you can experience it. Right. That's kind of where I was going with Second uh, Corinthians 5.21. Yeah. He who knew no sin became sin. That was Jesus on the cross so that we might have the righteousness of God. Yeah. It's and that's, a great to me, that exchange. is a, a great blessing because now I can boldly, without fear, walk into God's presence and he accepts me yeah. because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Um, I want to read a little bit at the end of Philippians, uh, I believe it's chapter 3 here. Paul's recounting his life in Judaism. Yep. Verse 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on down and he says in verse 9, uh, that he desires to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So there's right. been this huge change in Paul where I was striving for my own righteousness. Now I've found Christ. I don't want my own righteousness anymore. So not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's, it's, it's kind of a quick testimony there from Paul. I was once trying to earn my righteousness because that's what God demands. Then I found Christ. I met Christ, saw his supremacy, his worth. I, now I don't want my righteousness. I want his righteousness that's given to right, me in right. faith. But that creates then a new desire to walk in righteousness. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's uh, what I'm trying to point out here is it's it's feeding. So I don't think the communicable attribute here is necessarily talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ okay. in a salvation sense. But we have to stress as human beings that that's where it begins. Okay. But the attribute itself is, I think, based and grounded in 
experiential righteousness or executed righteousness in our conduct, our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, our motives. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, am I, did. am I tracking? Like, I think the attribute focuses over here on action, but that's not where you and I get to begin. We have to begin with the fact that Christ first makes us righteous sure. in our standing before God. And out of that wellspring flows this river of exercise now I righteousness. Wanna, I want to walk in obedience. Yeah. And do right things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, the the lost man, the lost woman, they can do good things. I mean, there's some laws that God has placed on the heart of, of everyone to not murder, to not steal. And they can not murder and not steal. Of course, then Jesus kind of redefined that a little bit. Uh, Brings it to the heart. Yeah. He said, if you are angry with someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Yeah. Or if you think about a woman in a lustful way, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Yeah. So it's it's even more defined. Yeah. Which reminds us again, we're not going to be righteous on our own. Yeah. We have to be sunk into the ocean of Christ's righteousness, and only then will we swim in righteousness. Do you like that? Wow. You ought to put that in a lyric and we can sing it. I'm going to make a throw pillow. <laughs> Or a big placard on the wall or something. Placard. Yeah. Yeah, that is a big subject. It is. It was good. Yeah. Well, God allows his creatures to experience and taste and, and to some degree comprehend these certain attributes. Yeah. But for the Christian, he he really enhances us because we're actually alive to practice them. And yeah. to know them, and to know their source, to know Him. I mean, really, we know righteousness and can enjoy the benefits of righteousness because we've been made alive to know God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that helps somebody think through or at least spurs on some thought uh, as they are considering how can I resemble God. And I think that should uh, spur us on to gratitude and to sincere worship. I mean, yeah. We get all the life is so hard. And the only way that it's less hard is when we do it according to God's plan. Yeah. And then to do it according to God's plan, we must do it how God says, which is to be righteous. And so you mean he gets to make the rules. He gets to make the rules. Yeah. And, and yet he not only makes the rules, but when he saves us, he enables us to follow them. Right. And to do them. And so. Man, this should just resp make us respond to God in great praise and worship because He's a righteous God and He's letting us taste righteousness and walk in righteousness so that we can flourish and enjoy Him. That should stir our hearts up to adoration. Yep. So hopefully people are going to be thinking, thinking along those lines as they consider these attributes. Right. We have a few more uh, next time, and hopefully next time we'll actually kind of end out the list. Uh, we're not doing an exhaustive list by any means, but there's like three left, right? Three or so? Um, three or four? Let me look at the list. Oh, two or three. Oh, two or three. There's a, actually a big old long list, but some of the words are very easily Quickly. understood. We did the uh, last one was righteousness, 
And yeah, he has nine more. Oh. Oh, yeah. I thought there were three more. Anyways. Well, in, in this category, there is two more. There's two more in this category. Yeah, I don't know that we'll do an exhaustive list, but... Um, yeah, there might be some of these. Like, if we get down to the bottom, there's uh, beauty. That's an attribute. That might be worth talking about, though. Because I, I look so good, or what? Um, no. For many other reasons. Many other reasons. Anyways, more to come Yeah. before we get out of this one and then get into some of the other uh, aspects of these doctrines. Sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Um, please go check out our new home, our new website. As I said earlier, it is doctrinedoxology.com. There you can find all of the episodes, the new episodes of the podcast. So you go right to doctrinedoxology.com. You don't have to go to the church webpage. Not anymore. Oh. Nope. In fact, if you go to the church web website now, it, it pushes you to the new website. So uh, that's really cool. You can find out there more about us, how to reach us, contact us, more about what we're doing some new things coming in the future as well. Dun, and there are dun, some new dun. things coming. Yep. Yes. Okay. Well, let me close this with prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you because of the wonderful things you've done in our lives, the, the great provision of salvation through Jesus, the Parting his righteousness upon us so that we can have a close, intimate relationship with you. Thank you for that love. Oh, Lord, just I ask you to give us the opportunity to share your love with others. There's many lost in the world. There's many family and many close friends who don't know you as Savior. Give us the opportunity to share with them and then open up that avenue and, and let it happen. Uh, only you can give the guidance and direction. And only you can empower us to share the gospel as we should. So please do that. We love you. We praise you. And we want to glorify you only. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>